0: Welcome and shalom and thank you for joining us today at our ICJ Biblical and Prophetic Teaching Webinar Series. As many of you know, we had a break for a couple of weeks from our weekly Thursday 4 to 5 Ishmael time webinar. And just to remind everybody why we had a break is because we hosted the annual Feast of Tabernacles event an event that we have been um, hosting for the last 40 years. And uh, we praise the Lord that we had over 4,500 people from 104 nations joining us this year again for a virtual online feast. And one of the highlights at this feast here was also that so many um, nations were building their own sukkahs in their home countries and showing that online and that really blessed us and also our Israeli friends in Israel. But today we are overjoyful to be back as um, with our webinar. And today um, our webinar um, subject is the contradictions of Paul in Romans 3. This is going to be a very interesting um, webinar. We're looking very forward to hearing this teaching. And um, our teacher today is none the other than our ICJ president, Dr. Jürgen Bueller, and welcome, Jürgen. He is, he is a doctor of the Weisman's Institute. He's been living in Israel for over 25 years with his family and his four children. And he has been the president for the last 10 years and um, God willing for many, many more years. And also, those will know that have been watching us in the following our teaching series, that Jürgen is a very um, well and good um, Bible teacher and he's been traveling the world, almost every continent, teaching about Israel and the church and the Bible. So welcome, Jürgen. It's good to have you once again with us. And uh, we're looking forward to this um, teaching of
1: you. Um, And I will hand it over to you. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, uh, David, and also a big welcome from my side to this webinar series. And it's always a joy to share the word of God. And uh, like you said rightly, it's quite a fascinating theme we are going to engage today, the contradictions of Paul. And we will see in a minute what what, uh, I mean by that. Because, of course, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but here Paul seemed to contradict himself in his own writings. And we will have a look why he is doing that, and we will see how important it is to understand this very unusual contradiction and the teachings of Paul. But before we start, let's pray and welcome the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. Father, we want to welcome you today into this webinar. I ask you that wherever people are watching, where people are joining us, where they are listening, that your Holy Spirit will be there present to teach us what your world is telling us. I ask you that you anoint my lips to share what is on your heart, to be a guard on my lips. And I do ask you also to uh, anoint every ear from all the listeners around the world that they understand what your spirit has to say to us today. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 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 Jürgen, just before you
0: start, sorry to interrupt, but we would like yes. to um, remind our um, audiences that if you need um, translation, we have translation in Chinese, Portuguese, Spanish, in Thai, on Zoom. So if you're watching on facebook or youtube please change over to zoom if you don't know i have the link just go to icj.org but jürgen thank you please continue sorry for the interruption and we're looking forward
1: yes No. this was a very important announcement for everybody watching us on youtube or on facebook there is translation available you need to be on our youtube on our facebook sorry you need to be on our zoom channel that's the correct one in order to get it and we do have chinese portuguese spanish and thai translation and welcome to everybody from those different language groups i do see we have quite a a strong delegation also joining us today from china welcome to all uh, the listeners from there and from around the world of course So if you have your Bibles with you, I do ask you to open your Bibles in the the book of Romans, chapter three, the book of Romans, chapter three, and um, Paul starts this um, chapter immediately with a important question. It's a, a question that is very important to our ministry, to the ministry of the ICJ. And he is asking the question, then what advantage has the Jew? What advantage has the Jew? And this might be a very important question to many because many people they do wonder even the church today what is so special about the Jewish people? Why do we need a Christian embassy in Jerusalem? Why don't we have this in New York or Geneva or some other places around the world? And this has all to do with to answer this question correctly. And Paul answers this with, if you read it in the Greek original language with an overwhelming positive reaction, he says, uh, much in every way. What then is the advantage of the Jew? And if to continue that question, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. And then, if you go a little bit further down to uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 9, chapter 9, uh, verse 9 in the same chapter. Paul, in a way, in a a slightly different form, is asking the same question. What then are we choose any better off? What then are we choose any better off? Or you could also say, do we really have an advantage? And you might be tempted to say, well, Paul, we just spoke about that. Read Romans 3 verse 1. Uh, you, you, You just gave us the answer for that. You said much in every way. But here... In uh, chapter three verse nine, he answers exactly the opposite way. What then? Are we choose any better off? Do we have an advantage? No, not at all. And this is quite amazing. You know, within one chapter, and this is what I call the contradiction of Paul. He is asking basically the same question twice and both times when he answer this, answers this question, he answers it, in a completely opposite direction. One side very enthusiastically says yes, much in every way, and just a few verses down, he says no, no advantage, at li- no advantage at all, they are just the same like we all. And let me start maybe with a little story, which uh, in a way I saw this working um, out in a in, a, in a in an amazing way. I was years ago preaching in the city of Berlin and um, the church there was a Pentecostal church. The pastor was a good friend of mine. He was uh, uh, coming from the same area. Then I was growing up and he was pastoring a church in Berlin. And um, when I came to his church, he says, Jürgen, I really uh, need your help today because we have some fanatics in our church. Uh, I call them, they are Israel freaks. They dress a little bit strange. They have always those amazing garments and sometimes they come with Israel flags and shofar horns. And he says they just don't understand that the Jewish people is a people like everybody else. And then I was walking back to the, uh, to uh, before the service started to the aisles. I was welcoming uh, a few other friends and then there came in this group of Israel friends he was referring to. They came with their shofar horns, they have Israel flyers and they took me aside and said, Jürgen, we are so happy that you are here today because our pastor just doesn't understand that the Jewish people is really special and that there is a huge calling upon them. And this was exactly this contradiction right within a few minutes before my eyes, where you saw an enthusiastic group which answered the question much in every way like Paul does here in verse one and then at the same time the pastor says they are just as every other nation and the truth of the matter is both of them were right but it would be it's important that we can give both answers at the same time so let's go question by question uh, through this uh, passage in Romans chapter 3 and let's see why paul is answering in such a contradictory way and uh, in Romans chapter 3 we need to understand where paul was coming from If you have time later on today, I encourage you to read uh, Romans chapter two, in particular, the second half of the chapter. And there in the second half of the chapter, he made a quiet, provocative statement, in particular, in the ears of a Jewish person who was part of that congregation. He said something in the very last verses of chapter 2. He says, for not he is a Jew who is it merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or and physical, but a Jew is the one who is it inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not for man, but from God. And you know, when Paul was writing this, this letter to the to the church in Rome, I just can see what was happening there in that church. I can see the Jewish audience that was sitting there in that congregation and they were scratching their head and they said, well, I really wonder what Paul is telling us here. Does he really mean that there is nothing special about the Jewish people? that uh, in the church now there is no distinction between Jews and Gentile. I really wonder what he is leading us to. And in that context, he understands in a way the questions that are going through the heads of many of the Jews who were sitting in that, in that congregation and he in a way writes out their question in the way how he's uh, formulating it here. So what is the advantage then of the Jew? Is there any advantage in circumcision in the tradition of the Jewish people? And many Christians today, they would answer this in the way how Paul just wrote it in chapter two. They say, well, Paul, you just said it yourself. Um, um, To be Jewish is a matter of the heart. And if you believe in Yeshua and the Messiah, and if you are circumcised in the heart, you are on equal footing to the Jewish people. And Paul gave us these words himself, just a few verses before, but listen how Paul is answering that. What is the advantage of the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Or you can also say, what separates the Jewish people from all the other nations? And Paul is answering here much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And what Paul is doing here in this passage. He's relating to the unique calling that God placed upon the Jewish people. And he says the first thing that you need to understand about the Jewish people, there is a calling over them that is different to any other people, to the Chinese people, to the German people, to the American people. He says to them were committed or entrusted the oracles of God. Those people were the people of the book. How they are called even today, they are the people who gave us the Bible or the Word of God. And if you go to Psalm 147, verse 19 and 20, Psalm 147, verse 19 and 20, you read there the following verse. He says, He declares his word to Jacob and his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt us with any other nation. He declares his will to Jacob, his statutes to Israel and he has not dealt us with any other nations. This book that you are reading and that you are holding in your hands and that you hopefully study every day, this book was given to us by the people of Israel, by the Jewish people. God entrusted them the word of God. In a way, Malcolm Heading, my predecessor at the Christian Embassy, he always say you can call the Jewish people as the private secretary of God. The private secretary of God. What does it mean? Is that God wanted to communicate a message to human mankind and he called Jewish people to come so to speak in his office and he said to Jewish prophets like Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Amos and Micah, he says, come, sit here, write down what I'm telling you. And while those prophets might not fully understood what they were doing, they thought they are just giving a message for their own people They had no idea that one day those letters that they were writing. One day those prophetic utterances that came from them would be translated in more than 3000 languages today. It is until today. The most printed book in the entire world. No other book in the whole world has been translated in more languages than the Bible. And as a matter of fact, in many countries, it was the word of God, the Bible that unified the language of the nations. And one example for that is, for example, Germany, the country where I am coming from. It was the translation of Martin Luther that united the language in German into what we call today High German. And I heard the same thing from an Oxford professor the other day who told me the exact same thing took place in the United Kingdom. The King James Version of the Bible defined the English language like no other book. And this book was given to us by the Jewish people, translated in so many languages. And it's like Paul here says: to them were granted the oracles of God. And I want to refer to you maybe to one little passage, uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-six. Uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-six. Chapter thirty-six. The prophet is telling us a story how he receives, the prophet Jeremiah receives a message, a prophetic word for the king of Israel. And he writes this message down on his scroll. It was a message of judgment. And then he hands over this scroll to his servant Baruch. And he gave this message to Baruch. He says, go to the king, read it to him and see what he has to say. After some time, the servant came back and um, Jeremiah might have asked him, he says, so tell me, what did the king say? And Baruch said, well, to be very honest, he wasn't so excited about your words of judgment. He actually took the scroll and he threw it in the fire. He destroyed it. And Jeremiah might have said, well, what a pity. This was really a good message that I was writing there. I really felt this was coming from the Lord. And he might have been leaving his house. And you can read this in, cha- in chapter 27. Now, after the king burned the scroll of the words that Baruch the, the wrote at Jeremiah's di- uh, dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it the same words. That means God told him, come back here, write the same message again. Why would he need to write that message again, not to send it again to the king, but because this message was not just a message for the king of Israel. This message was also a message for the people of Brazil, for the people of Portugal, for the people of Thailand, for the people of Spain and Latin America and of Asia, because it's the word of God that God uttered through Jewish prophets to human mankind and even until today you know if you are watching how the jewish people are preserving the word of god it's an incredible art if you are watching a torah scribe in israel with in which how with incredible detail they're spending time to go letter by letter by letter to make sure the word of god is accurately distributed over many generations. That's why from the Bible there are more original, there are more ancient scrolls available where we can be assured of the validity of the word of God than any other work from the ancient times. And we have seen this this year at the Feast of Tabernacles when uh, a, we were at Qumran, where those caves are in the in the Dead Sea area, where a shepherd boy, uh, just around 70 years ago, found those crow, those scrolls in a chamber in a uh, cave in the mountains at the Dead Sea. And they excavated them and they checked them. One of those scrolls was the Isaiah scroll. This scroll was more than 2000 years old. And letter by letter, it was the same world that we are having in the Bible today. The Jewish people indeed is the people of the word of God. Now, if you want to take it a a step further even, I want to suggest to you that the, the gospel message of Jesus in a way, it it's um, it's transmitted by the Jewish people in a way that let me read you a passage from Romans chapter one verse one and the following the same epistle that I was just uh, r- uh, reading to you from Romans chapter one verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets. In the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh, and he was declared to be the Son of God according to the power of resurrection. The gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, which was promised beforehand through the prophets by the Holy Scripture. That means the person of Yeshua, of Jesus our Messiah, was predicted by the prophets. And also it was coming from the Jewish people through the word of God to us. And it's important for us to understand, you know, some people uh, today, I'm sometimes troubled when I see people that do read only the New Testament. The word of God, my Bible, it starts with the book of Genesis. And it ends with the book of Revelation. Everything between those two books, between Genesis and Revelation, it speaks about Jesus and it is the word of God. And I want to encourage today every listener of this webinar, To uh, use this uh, message even as a new inspiration to study and to read the word of God like uh, never uh, before. And you might say, well, I'm reading the New Testament because we can find about Jesus in the New Testament. You are absolutely right. But I want you to think about it. First of all, we saw here in Romans chapter one, he says this gospel of Jesus he says, it was promised us beforehand through the prophets of the Holy Scriptures. That means you can find Jesus already in the Old Testament Scriptures. If you go to Acts chapter 28, verse 23, he says, Paul appointed a day for them. This is in when he was in the city of Rome. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them and testified to them the kingdom of God, tried to convince them about Jesus. Both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Paul is speaking to the two disciples of Emmaus. He says, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things? And beginning with Moses, all the prophets, He interpreted to them the scriptures regarding the things that concern himself. That means for the early church, they found Jesus in every page of of the word of God. A rabbi once told me, he says, Jürgen, for us rabbis, almost every page speaks about the Messiah. And he told me he says you know in, in the Romans uh, in, in Genesis chapter one verse 1 when it says in the beginning was the world and the world was with God and he created the heavens and the earth and he spoke and uh, and the uh, and he created uh, this planetary system in which we are and then it says and the spirit of God was hovering over the tohu vapohu over the chaos he says this was the spirit of Messiah that is there right from Genesis chapter one. So the Jewish people gave us the word of God and the point that I wanted to make here is that Jesus can be found on every page of that Bible. And then they didn't give us only the written word of God. The the word of God that we can touch and that we can read and understand. But Romans uh, John chapter one he also speaks about that this world that created the heavens and the earth. This world that was Jesus, that was with the father from eternity. John chapter one, verse fourteen, it says, and the world became flesh and dwelt among us. The world became flesh and dwelt among us. And like the Jewish people were giving us the written word of God, they gave us the living word of God that became flesh. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was living on this earth. He was born to a Jewish mother. He kept Jewish tradition. He was the Messiah that came out of the Jewish people because it was promised to and from the Jewish people. And it's important for us to understand this identity of Yeshua. In um, I was speaking about that time. I might have shared this story already before. Again in Germany, it was in Bavaria, in southern Germany. And I spoke about it that Jesus was Jewish. And he says, came to me afterward, he said, Brother Jurgen, you have forgotten one important detail is that when Jesus received after the resurrection a resurrection body, and he went up and is seated at the right hand of the Father, this resurrection body, he says, is not anymore a Jewish body, but he is now the universal brother of all mankind. And I must honestly say, I was initially impressed by this thought, wow, there is Yeshua, Jesus, the universal brother of all mankind. And in a way, that's who he is. But if you go to the book of Revelation, chapter five, verse five, you read that John the Apostle is there before the throne of God in the heavenlies. Jesus is already ascended to heaven. He sees the father seated on the throne, and he's weeping because nobody is open, is worthy to open the scroll that is in the hand of the father. And somebody comes to the in the back from, from John and he says, John, don't weep. There is somebody who is worthy to open the scroll and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5 verse 5. That means even up there in heaven, Jesus keeps his Jewish identity. Out of them came the Messiah. Even if you go to the very last chapter of the Bible, it is Revelation chapter 22. Uh, You will find a very similar statement. These are, if you have a red Bible, red letter Bible, where the words of Jesus are highlighted in red letters. This is one of the last verses that Jesus directly spoke to us in his world. He says, "I, Jesus." Revelation chapter 22 verse 16. 22 verse 16. I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Isn't it amazing that in this very last sentences of the word of God in the Bible, Jesus himself wants to remind us. He said, don't forget my great 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 grandfather. He is a Jewish king in the city of Jerusalem. Paul Hill says therefore there is an incredible advantage of the Jewish people. God gave them a calling that is not resting on any other people. The Germans might have translated the Bible through Martin Luther. So did the the English one. And I know I've seen many Bibles and many translations over the world, but there was only One people that was writing the the word of God and this was the Jewish people. Even the New Testament. All the apostles were Jewish apostles that wrote the word of God. And that's why Paul says the calling is incredible because to them were committed the the oracles of God. The word of God. The written word of God and also the living word of God. Jesus came from them. And this is has to do very much with the calling that rests on the Jewish people. And uh, there is a calling on Israel that is different to any other nations. And I just very briefly want to remind you on that. You can find that in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 where God says I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And he says to Abraham, and in you, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That means from the very beginning, from the very calling of Abraham, there was a calling upon the Jewish nations to be a blessing for all the families of the earth, for all the languages of the earth. That's why the Bible is translated in so many languages around the world, because the Jewish people were God's vehicle of salvation to bring saving products to human mankind, the word of God and also the uh, Messiah that redeemed us. And this is so important for us to remember that there is a calling on the Jewish people that is different to any other nation. And it's quite important when we speak about this, calling of the Jewish people that this is not so much dependent even on their spiritual state. Um, In in Romans chapter chapter 11, verse 28, Paul makes an amazing statement when he is speaking about the Jewish people. Romans chapter 11, verse 28, he says, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to the election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. And I might speak about that in an upcoming seminar also, webinar about it. There is a calling of the Jewish people that Paul calls, it is a mystery. It is difficult to understand that they might not believe in what they, what we believe as Christians. They might not believe in the Messiah that came from them. But he says, but Paul says they are still beloved because there is a calling that is resting upon them from their forefathers. And Rome, Paul says in the same chapter in the book of Romans, even in their blinding, even in their not recognizing their Messiah, they have delivered an incredible blessing to human mankind and i want to think you just about one thing if the jewish people when god delivered them on mount sinai and when they delivered them from egypt and brought them to mount sinai if they from that moment onwards would have said Well, praise the Lord. We want to welcome the commandments of God. And from today on, we will keep every single one of them. And from that day on, the Jewish people would have kept every single commandment of the Bible. If this would have been the case, the Bible would not have been written. The word of God, what is it? It is a God's communication, God's dialogue with a people that continuously struggled to fulfill the commandments of God. And why do we have this in the Bible? Because this world by reading it, it puts a mirror in front of our face. And no matter where you are living, it tells you this is your story. This is your struggle to deal with the word of God, but to deal with the commandments of God. And therefore, even in their blinding and they're not recognizing, even in their rebellion against God, they have become a blessing. To mankind that through the word of God written to them, we might learn and we are able to, to enter into relationship to God. So, there is a unique calling upon Israel. I could speak more about this, but we have to come to the second part of our discussion. Now, the second time now Paul is 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 answer, asking this question, what, what about the Jews? Are they now any better off You could say, well, Jürgen, you just so wonderfully explained that, that there is a unique calling upon the Jewish people, that they gave the word of God to the man, to mankind, that they gave the Messiah to mankind. There is a national calling upon them since Abraham. So, yes, they are special. And then Paul says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles, they are under sin. And what Paul is writing here, I want to compare it with a story from Germany. Um, again, that's where I'm coming from. I remember years ago our German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Her father is a Lutheran pastor, so she was raised in a, a Christian home. She was speaking to a large delegation of evangelical pastors and leaders in Germany. And she went to the platform and she said the following. He says, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, let me start like that. I'm speaking here today knowing that one day when I stand before God, I will not stand before him as the Chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany, but I will stand before God as Angela Merkel, the person, and I have no difference to any one of you. And I think this is exactly what Paul is highlighting here in regard to the Jewish people. There is an incredible national calling on the entire nation of Israel, and you see this even until today unfolding here in the land of Israel. I see it, I witness it every day. But then Paul says when it comes to the individual person, the individual Jewish person, he says they are on the same footing like every Gentile on the world. They are sinners like everybody else. They need salvation uh, like everybody else. And that means that one day when they stand before the throne of God... They will not be able to say, well, you need to let us into uh, the the, the coming world. You need to let us into paradise because our great, 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 great grandfather was Abraham or King David or one of the prophets. God says, this will not help you, but I'm going to deal with every single soul individually as, as they stand before me. Or to put it in other words there will be no grandchildren in heaven. I keep telling this to my children. So we have a wonderful, we had a wonderful grandfather. My father, he was an amazing believer. He was a pastor. Thousands of people came to faith through him, started many churches. And I keep telling my boys and I says, when you stand one day before the Lord, the entrance to heaven will not be granted because you say, Well, my grandfather was Albert Bühler, or my father was Jürgen Bühler, president of the Christian embassy. It will not help you at all. What will bring you the entry into the heavens will be a personal relationship to his Messiah. And that's what Paul is saying there. And that's why this pastor in Berlin was absolutely right. When it comes to individual personal salvation, there is no difference to Jewish people and Gentiles, but as an entire nation, as a group of people there is a calling upon them, that is unique. And that's why we are called to bless them. Now, the argument that Paul is using here, because he understands this might be shocking also to some of the Jewish audience that is listening here. He says, what I'm teaching you about the sinfulness of man, he says, this is not a new concept that I'm inventing or that is coming out uh, from a New Testament or Christian or Gentile teaching, but it's something that he derived from the Tanakh, from the Torah, from the prophets of the uh, of the first covenant. For example, Genesis chapter six, verse five, Five, um, the Lord says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, was great, and every intention and every thought of the heart was only evil continuously. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 3, it says, The great trials and the great miracles that you I, I saw, this I saw, and the signs and the great wonders. But to this day, Moses speaks to the people of Israel. God has not given to you a heart to understand or eyes to hear and, and to see. On Jeremiah chapter 17, we spoke about uh, Jeremiah, Yeremiah who in Hebrew, um, the, the prophet had to speak about his people and about his own life. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. it is desperately sick who can understand it. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, if you go into the Hebrew language and read, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. It, it is written in active language and not in passive language. That means what the Bible is telling us here is that it's not that our hearts can be easily deceived But it's written in active language, saying that our heart is a deceitful agent that constantly deceives us, going away from God. And that's why Paul the Apostle had to say, even as he was a servant of God, he says, the good things that I try to do, I'm not doing them. And the bad things that I don't like to do, I still do them. Who will save me from this body of sin? And here Paul recognized there is no difference to you in human mankind. Every single person on this planet, whether Jewish or Gentile, they need to be redeemed. There is a gap or a, a chasm between mankind and God that needs to be preached. And Paul makes his argument here in Romans 3 by quoting one passage after the other of the of the psalms and of the prophets. He continues, he says, not at all, we already charged both Jews and Greeks, that all are under sins, as it is written, there is none who is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, nor does he seek God. And what he's doing here is reading from Tehillim, from Psalms 14, 1 to 3. It's quite amazing what he, see, what he says here. There's no one righteous, not one, no one who understands, and no one who seeks even God. There is no one who seeks God. You know, many people, they speak about this, that time when they got saved and when they became believers, this was the day when I found Jesus. Now let me remind you today that Jesus was never lost. He never needed to be found. But you and I, we have been lost. And Jesus was going after us. That's why Jesus told his disciple, not you chose me, but I have chosen you. That means there is something inside us and I was sharing this with my boys and as we didn't, I told him I didn't have to tell you to be disobedient. I didn't have to tell you to be honest and to, uh, and, or to, to lie or to, to cheat. This was something that is inside every human being and it needs the word of God and a transformation of how that changes us into better beings. That's why when Jesus told, spoke to Nicodemus, Um, He says, you should know it above all from all the teachers of Israel. You should know it because of the sickness of our heart that you need to be born again. You need to have a new start with God. You need a, a fresh start with God in order to come into a relationship with God. You need to be regenerated, new, renewed by the Word of God. That's why the prophets of the Old Testament they speak one day when my Spirit will be poured out. I'm giving them a new heart, and I'm going to give them a heart that follows after me. And then Paul continues here in Romans chapter, uh, chapter three. He says further down, he says, "But now the righteousness of God has been manifested." Apart from the law, that means it didn't take away from the law, but it's revealed outside the law, almost you can say in parallel to the law and the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no difference. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul answers the second second question. So what is special about about the Jewish people? He says, when it comes to salvation, the Jewish people is exactly on the same footing like the Chinese people or the people in Thailand or the people anywhere else in the world. However, he says, there is a calling upon Israel that is different to any nation of this world. They gave to the world the Messiah, they gave the Torah, the commandments of God, and there is still a future calling upon them. Paul writes about that in Romans 11, he says, you know, if they're falling away, if their rejection of Messiah already produced such a great fruit among the Gentiles, think of it, what will their fullness, what will their acceptance be Then life from the dead? That means God will go, is going to continue with the Jewish people, and I want to close with a third question that is Paul that Paul is answer that Paul is asking here in Romans chapter three. And this question you can read in Romans chapter three, verse three. He asks then, "What if some were unfaithful?" Speaking about the Jewish people, does their faithlessness nullify? The faithfulness of God. And that's quite an important passage because many people today say that God is finished with the Jewish people. There is no destiny anymore with Israel because they have rejected Messiah. They don't have a future anymore. Church fathers over centuries were teaching that. And that's exactly the question that Paul is asking us here. What about if Israel rejects their Messiah? What about if Israel is unfaithful to God? Will God change his mind about the Jewish people? Verse 4, by no means. Again, in the Greek language, very powerful, positive statement. Let God be true and everyone a liar, as it is written, that you might be justified in your own words and prevail when you are judged. In other words, let me put this in my words. God is telling the readers and and the church in Rome, he says, if God would have changed his mind with the Jewish people, this would make God a liar. This would make God a man who doesn't keep his promises to Israel. You know, one of the most important character traits in the Bible about God is that he is a covenant-keeping God. That he is a God whose promises are yes and amen. And if we look to the Jewish people after 4,000 years, God keeps to be faithful to them. That's why Paul writes in the second uh, book of Thessalonians, he says, even if we are unfaithful, he still remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And that's why he says there's no way how God has given up the Jewish people. And let me tell you, the establishment of the state of Israel today in the Middle East is a big explanation mark of that truth that God remains to be faithful to the Jewish people. And that's why we as church, we are called to bless them. So we have seen there are three questions that Paul, is answer, that Paul is answering. Number one, what is the advantage of the Jew? And he's answering it in their national context. He says, much in every way, because to them the oracles of God was given. And you could continue with many other things. Number two, what is their advantage in regard to their personal salvation? None at all, because they are on the same footing like every other Gentile. Number three, does their unfaithfulness make God's covenant with them invalid? He says, no, definitely not, because this would make God a liar. And dear friends, this is why it's important for believers around the world to stand with the Jewish people. At the very end of that same epistle, the book of Romans in in chapter 15, Paul therefore gives gives a very practical admonition to the church in Rome. He says here in chapter 15, verse 26, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. He's telling them about what he experienced in Greece and the provinces of Achaia and Macedonia. Those provinces are still today there in northern Greece. And now he gives us the reason why why they did that for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. That means those churches, they owe it to the Jewish people to receive that contribution. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they also are able, should also, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. That means what Paul is saying. Because of this great calling of Israel that they gave us the word of God. They gave us the Messiah. Let let me put it like that. Everything that defines your walk with Jesus has something to do with Israel. There he died for your sins. That's where he resurrected, was resurrected and you can experience his resurrection power today. That's where he rose up to heaven to the father there in Jerusalem the holy spirit was being poured out for the first time he told the disciples stay in Jerusalem wait until the promise will be given and the bible says one day he will come back to Jerusalem as the king and uh, king of kings and as the lord of lords that means all the main pillars of our faith they are directly, squarely related to the Jewish people. And Paul says here, therefore, since we are debtors to the Jews, they gave us this world, they gave us their Messiah. It is just right, he says, that we also, in return, bless the Jewish people. Let me pray for them tonight. The Rosh Chodesh prayer chain is starting. We have 168 hours of prayer ongoing praying for Israel, praying that God's spirit will be pulled out, praying that God would protect that nation. And also, we want to stand with them in a practical way. And there are many projects that the ICJ is doing to show this love and gratefulness in many practical ways. And we are called as believers to stand therefore in thankfulness because of this great calling to the Jewish people. Now, in closing, there are three main lessons that I would like to bring to you. Number one, it is important to answer this question, what is the advantage of the Jewish people in both ways? If you only choose one answer, if you only can say yes much in every way, and we also don't say, but they still need to be redeemed in their personal life with God. It leads us what some theologians called a dual covenant theology, saying that the Jewish people don't really need their Messiah. And it it leads us into an extremism where Israel um, becomes in an elevated position where they should not be. At the same time, if you are asking, if you're answering the question only in the second way, where you say, well, they are not a special people, like not, like, like uh, every other people, it will lead you to replacement theology, where you don't recognize their calling, and in the worst place, even into anti-Semitism, and coming from Germany, Our nation is the best example of where this was taking place, where many theologians denied the unique calling of the Jewish people, and there was nothing which would defend them on the vicious anti Semitism that came through Adolf Hitler to our nation. So, we need to answer this question, be able to answer in in both ways in order to have a balanced position towards the Jewish people. Number two, It also helps us to understand Israel today. Many people, they say to us, how can you support a sinful nation? I want to remind you in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 22, Ezekiel 36, 22, therefore says the Lord, I'm going to restore you, but not for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my name's sake. Because you have defiled my name among the nations where you have been. God's restoration with Israel to do has nothing to do with their spiritual state, but everything with God's faithfulness to them. And one day in the same chapter 36, God says, one day I'm going to pour out my spirit. I will sprinkle clean water upon them and I will give them a new heart and I will dwell among them and tabernacle among them. So it helps us to understand Israel today, to see them in the correct picture. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, it is a personal message to all of us. As I said in the beginning, God doesn't have grandchildren. And I want to bring a very personal appeal to you today in this very last minute of this webinar is that you might be here on this webinar because maybe you grew up in a Christian family or you have been uh, brought to church by your parents on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And you feel well, you are good Christians because your parents are. And I want to remind you that God does not have grandchildren. You need to make a personal decision to Jesus. And it's only your personal experiencing the saving blood of Yeshua, of Jesus, that gives you the guarantee of eternal life. And if you didn't make that decision today, I want to encourage today to use even this webinar today as an opportunity to get right with God and to make sure that you can one day with great joy, see your maker and your creator. And Father, I do ask you for the word that we have heard today. I ask you that you Make it alive in our hearts. I ask you that it will bring fruit 30, 60, even a hundredfold, and that you help us to remember the world that we heard today. We thank you for the amazing calling of the Jewish people, how you used them to in such a great way to bless us as Gentile, to bring us the revelation of the Creator God, even to the furthest corners of this world. Father, help us to be a blessing to the Jewish people. Help us to say thank you to this amazing nation that you have called and help us to stand with them in prayer, in love and in solidarity in the powerful and mighty name of Yeshua, I pray. Amen. Amen. Back to you, David.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jürgen, for this powerful message that you gave us today. And really after a message like this, there are no reason why we cannot pray and stand with Israel and be thankful to israel because of them giving us salvation and um, if there's anybody out there that as Jürgen said um, needs to once again invite um, jesus into their life then do so we want to continue to encourage you to pray where you are and to connect to your local church so Samuel, thank you so much jürgen this has been a wonderful um, message and as we're getting to a close, I just want to remind everybody, Jurgen mentioned something about uh, Rosh Chodesh prayer chain that's going on for seven days. And that is actually going to start at six o'clock Israel time today. And if you're interested joining us in prayer for Israel, but also for the nations, then uh, go to our website at icj.org. We have a schedule there that will tell you which nation are going to pray and when and what hour. Every nation have one hour to pray. And please join us. We really would like to invite you and and ask you to come and join us for this. This is our first um, Rosh Chodesh. That's going to be seven days of prayer nonstop for the nations. And we've been doing this for more than one year now. That every month we are praying for the nation of Israel and the church um, at Rosh Chodesh. So please join us for that. Again, if you want to know more, icj.org. Other interesting things that are happening also at the ICEJ is we're going to have an Envision Leadership Conference at the end of January. This is going to be between the 24th and the 28th of January 2022. It's coming up really quickly. And our theme is going to be a world at the crossroads. If you're interested to know more about this dynamic um, leadership conference, it's going to be taking place in Israel then please also visit our website is.org. I really want to encourage you to join us. It's going to be a big blessing for you and, and invite your pastors and what other leaders want want to come. But actually, it's open for everybody. And then last and most important, next week, we will be back at Thursday from 4 to 5 Israel time. And our theme then is going to be a striker for God's kingdom. And we have a very special guest that's going to come. He's actually our director from Slovenia. His name is Marcos Tavares. He's actually a soccer player, I believe, in one of the European leagues. Um, If you're going to want to brag a bit more about him, then please do. Um, But please, we would like to invite you to come and join us next week. It's going to be a great blessing. Thursday, 4 to 5, Israel time. Remember, the clock changed. And we will see you here so shalom from israel and god bless each one of you with the message of salvation from israel see you next week thank you jürgen
1: shalom god bless you and see you next week